Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias. Um, can't believe the month's almost over. This is going fast. It's been a interesting year to start 2022, Elias. It has been, and it's been so far a little, little rocky in the in the stock market, right? I've had some selling pressure recently, getting people excited. The market goes down 5%, and you think, I mean, people start calling. It's amazing. 5% nobody used to call. Now 5% people are calling. What What's going on with the market? I know. It's going down? Yeah, and I'll just remind everyone listening, when like right now, okay, market goes down 5%. Don't forget about your 27% gain over the last year. You're still ahead. At this point, we're all everyone should still be happy with the returns over the last couple of years. Yeah, at you, this point, if you own strictly just the U.S. index, you did really well. Most people have a diversified portfolio at some level, so you have to look at that. But also, if you had a diversified portfolio, you're not down five percent year to date. You're down one or two percent. It's probably a non-event. Um, it is non-event, uh, but it does get people excited because they haven't seen. I don't know the last time someone saw a quarterly statement that was down. Maybe COVID. Yeah, during that was COVID. probably that, and then mm-hmm. and then 2018, the fourth quarter of 2018, um, the market was down about 18 percent that the fourth quarter. So those are the last two times I can remember someone getting a down statement, and you should expect at some point your investments are going to go down. These things aren't designed to just go straight up. I mean, we refer to something called gravity. If it goes up, it's got to come down. It's just how far does it come down? We don't try to predict that. Which that goes other another term for that is market timing, right? So the reason I just want to remind everyone the reason um, you buy stocks or you buy mutual funds that invest in stocks or ETFs that invest in stocks um, is over the long term you're looking to compound your wealth and make a better return than less risky alternatives and. I think the stock market has proven over the long term that it's um, been a good place to buy investments and build wealth. And I personally don't believe that's going to change. I think in the short term, in the short term, and I guess just for the rest of the of the year, maybe we could prep our listeners. So what do we have going on? We have a market trying to price in um, the interest rate hikes that everyone's anticipating. And we also were in a midterm election year. So if you look at like charts and graphs of um, previous midterm election years and how that goes, I would just be mentally prepared for, I call like a, a lot of people for just sideways, sideways market. We're going to have some good days, some bad, but we're going to kind of be moving sideways. And then once I think the rate hikes are more, everyone knows what has happened and then a lot of times in a midterm election year, there'll be a, a run up in stocks after that election is done. I'm not saying that's going to happen this year, but I think with those kind of two bigger things going on, I think people should expect um, some level of volatility this year. I don't think it's going to be as easy as the last two years. Well, and truth be told, if the market made seven or eight or nine percent, that's still a good year. But I people, would personally be happy with people that. have seen double digit returns for a long period of time and they kind of expect these higher rated returns. I think it's good for people to realize what's the market average historically like 
compounded 8% growth yeah. the last however many years. And that's more what, what people should be expecting. They shouldn't be expecting to make 12, 13, 15, 18, 20% year over year on their investments. And is and that, think, um, is that like recency bias when we talk about recency bias, like those returns just because that has happened now you just start to expect that? That's exactly what we call it. And it was the same with real estate. Real estate in 10, 11, 12, 13, that wasn't seen as a good investment. Well, today, where are we back to? Real estate's a great investment because 20, the recency yeah. bias is my house price went up. So, yeah, we should buy more real estate. Or the stock market went up, we should buy more more of the stock market. And then there'll be a correction and everybody will think the stock market's a bad place to invest again. And we'll just go through this cycle because of what's happened to us most recently. You know, there's a lot of people who went through 2008 and 2009. They've either forgot about it or they didn't have any money, so they didn't participate in it. Right. We're seeing a younger generation start investing. So if you're under 40 years old, arguably you didn't have a meaningful amount of money invested in the market. In 2000, and when I say meaningful, you didn't have four or 500,000, a million dollars in the market, probably. You might have had 80 grand in your 401k. And right. it wasn't a meaningful amount of money. So you didn't really feel the burn like the person who had a million and a half bucks and the market went down 57% and they were all stock. And they went from 1.5 million to, you know, 600,000. That person that did nothing and made the, the right kind of emotional play there, they still turned out well. I'm not trying to scare people, but recency bias is absolutely what's going on. We're expecting these higher rates of return, and some of it's been fueled by the amount of money that we put into the put into the economy, low interest rates, and all of those things are kind of coming to an end. So one should expect that maybe we just see slowing growth. It doesn't mean that there's no growth. It just means slowing growth in maybe different sectors of the market. Yeah, and I th I think in the long term, investors that can stick it out through times like that, um, you know, you're rewarded for it. But that's why to me, to me, that's why investing in the stock market and buying equities over the long term, you are rewarded with better long term returns because of the times when it's hard, because it's easy, you know, when the stock, when the market's gaining double digit gains, like it has been for the last 10, 12 years, you know, it's easy to participate. But the people that stick it out when it gets a little more challenging, you know, that's when I guess that's when you prove that you, you really can be a successful investor and you can do it. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100 percent. So interesting. Before I came in here, I was on a call with a real estate agent. I'm looking at some real estate myself. Um, and we were just talking about long term capital gains and that on real estate and whether to do a 1031 exchange. And he goes, well, you know, doing a 1031 exchange is really popular. And that's basically where you exchange real estate from, you know, one investment property to another, and you don't pay any tax on that exchange, right? It, it ups your cost basis. But he said, maybe you want to actually realize that capital gain today. And I didn't really think about that. And he goes, you know, go back and look at historical capital gains rates. And then where we are from a period in our in our tax world where we're talking about higher rates. And I never thought about just realizing the gain and taking the chips off the table. So I actually went back. So I wanted to check. I fact checked him because he gave me some rates. He goes, you know, pre-Reagan, the capital gains rate was like 50%. 
and it wasn't 50%. It was 35, but that's still dramatically different than it is today. Well, see, it was like 50%. It was like 50%. 35, close enough. Well, I, you know, I'm, you, I'm but a I, yeah, checker. I'm, I'm getting the point you're So then I start thinking about, well, maybe I would just take it off the table at 20% and move on down the road because you limit your risk a little bit. And that's kind of where I'm going with this is it's tax time and people are starting to make these decisions. And I think the more informed people are about where tax rates are today, where they may go in the future, might guide them as to the decisions they make to either minimize a tax bill or build some tax-free investments that they might have. And, and that's where I was headed because I was thinking about this myself. Like, you know, do I ever defer this to some point down the road or do I just bite the bullet, pay the tax today at a known rate of 20%, assuming that tax rates are going up in the future, and I know I'm predicting, but I just it's hard for me to imagine rates getting a whole heck of a lot lower from here. Yeah. Yes. And see, that's so that's an interesting conversation because that's that's interesting to me that even real estate agents are starting to because we kind of give to draw a parallel to some of the advice we give, depending on the person. A lot of times we suggest, well, in this situation, you're better off just paying your taxes. Maybe, and, but are, yeah. It, right, so I just find that interesting that even some real estate agents are starting to advise that way too on the capital gains rates potentially going up. Well, if you think about it, it's just, it's counterintuitive to human nature. Human nature is, I'm just going to defer the tax as long as possible. And for a long time, that's worked out. But that doesn't mean it's always going to work out. At some point, you know, with the as much liquidity as we've pumped into the market, we have to pay it back somehow. I mean, right. At some point, it's getting paid by somebody. And honestly, it's going to be paid by those that have a good wage and a good income. And it's probably higher for longer for them. Yeah. And from to me, I guess, from the perspective from the perspective of the government, if you raise capital gains rates, well, that is that's one way to raise rates on people who are more wealthy, you know, because you're typically most middle class people, they're saving in their tax advantage accounts. They have IRAs, 401k at work, maybe a brokerage account, but not they're not doing real estate transactions or have the type of gains in a brokerage account that someone who's very well off would have. It's it's really similar to what we're trying to help people with from a planning standpoint. So just think of that person who you know, they're sitting in the 12% or the 22% tax bracket. And we know that the Tax and Jobs Cut Act that was implemented during the Trump administration, that's, you know, it's going retroactive. I believe it's in 2025. We're going back to pre-Tax and Jobs Act rates. Well, that automatically puts the person who's in a 12% bracket into a 15% bracket and the person in the 22 into a 25. Well, Arguably, if you were in those rates today, there's opportunities to either be doing conversions or taking money out to maximize that tax bracket because it's really a guaranteed 3% rate of return from a tax standpoint. It's not an investment. Just you're saving 3% in tax, assuming that nothing happens. And I'm not sure anything is going to happen. So it's a popular planning technique, especially for Roth conversions and saying, hey, let's get as much out of this individual tax bracket as we can, just because we know the law is set to sunset to this. And it's good for anybody who wants to get advice on that. You can go to our website, 
btwellshow.com. We can walk you through how we do that for people. But also, um, we've uploaded our 2022 tax guide on there. And that's really what this show is kind of about is all the tax planning. But you can go to btwellshow.com. You can download your tax guide for 2022. And if you have questions about, hey, am I maximizing what I should be? from a Roth conversion or a distribution standpoint, reach out to us. We'd be happy to tilt at your situation, let you know what we think there. And don't forget to mention, there will be a link in the description. That's why I have you. <laughs> so I love anyway, it. Yeah. So anyway, so talking about taxes um, and tax deadlines, um, tax deadline for IRA contributions. Um, this year, it's gonna be April 18th, 2022. So, which this is the first year we've had a normal tax filing in two years. If you remember yeah. during COVID, it was pushed back to June. Last year, I believe it was May, and this year we're back into April. Um, I have read that there's an extreme backlog of returns still not completed from 2020. So, I don't know as if they may change this deadline, but for this year, I think everybody should be planning on having their tax house in order by April 18th. Yeah, just plan on it. And then if you get a couple extra months, then you lucked out a little bit. And, you know, we start talking about tax planning early for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of our clients like to get this done early. I mean, they're calling us like, where's my 1099 the day it's supposed to be there? January, we get a week into the new year and we get calls for 1099s. Stuff? Yep. But two, there's still ways for you to either you know, reduce your 2021 tax bill or do some planning regarding taxes for 2021 still. And I'm going to hit on a few and we'll cover each one. But, um, you know, as far as reducing your tax bill, if, if you're um, still eligible to the traditional IRA and you're not looking to uh, build tax-free money, you still can contribute your IRA contribution for the year. So you don't have to you, you could, you know, if you if you earn six thousand dollars, you could go contribute six thousand, knock out your tax bill if that's what you so chose to do. Yeah, and you have until just to be clear, you have until the April eighteenth um, tax filing deadline to to hit those contributions for twenty twenty one. Now, if if you if you're going to do a traditional IRA, you need to be cautious if you're doing this yourself and not working with a planner because there are income limits for IRAs and Roth IRAs. And you can get that if you go to the website and get our tax guide, we have those contribution limits right there and the income limits that are subject to that. It's a great resource. I know I have a little simplified version of that that I literally have stuck on the back of my desk. You've seen it. I put it with a little clip back there and I pull it out more times. By the end of the year, I've got a little tear at the top from me pulling it out of the clip. Um, yeah, my, my mine's thumbtacked right to my board and... Yeah, I, used I don't to, know how many conversations I have in a year that I have to say, give me one second. I need to grab my tax cheat sheet. Yeah, I, but that happens a lot. Yeah. So if you want that btwellshow.com, you can get your own. One thing that people are still doing is you, you can still do a couple uh, planning tips from an IRA standpoint with Roth IRA. You, you know, if you're above the income limits, so if you're phased out of doing the Roth, you have a couple options. You can still do a backdoor Roth IRA. Um, and that's still on the docket for this year. I know it was talked about last year, potentially eliminating that, what we'll call loophole. 
Um, but it hasn't been eliminated yet. So if you're a high income earner and you are looking to build some tax free dollars, um, that's one of the planning things that you should potentially look at is, hey, how do I do a backdoor Roth IRA and see if you're eligible and see if it makes sense for you to do that. It doesn't work for every single person um, just because of the amount of money they may have in a traditional IRA. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is you can you know, start planning for 2022 and say, hey, what tax bracket am I going to be in? And maybe I want to start thinking about a Roth conversion. I know the market is down a little bit. Ideally, we convert Roth IRAs if you have a little blip in the market. You know, so a great time to convert a Roth IRA was May of 2020. Because if you had a half a million dollar account that turned into 300, you converted it 300,000, you paid the tax on 300 instead of 500, now you've saw all that appreciation. If you happen to just convert at the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. That new Roth IRA went up 100%. Yeah, and I I guess I I personally know some people who who did that, and I think I would imagine they're very happy with the result. Um, but that's another that's a good point too, because when people ask, like when the market gets there's selling pressure and there's volatility. Well, what should I do? What should I do? Well, being prepared to do some conversions if you can do it. That's that's a great that's a great timing thing. You're not timing the market because you're still in. But if your account's down, well, you can convert those and you're converting, the value is less, so the, ta so the tax implication is less. The key to being able to do that is if you do that conversion, right, your account went from 500 to three, you have to have the cash on the sideline to pay the tax. You can't withhold the tax from the conversion right? because that will, you're, you're really compounding your loss at that point. Correct. So you have to have a plan of how am I gonna pay this tax bill. But that brings up another thing. So you know, we had the conversation with someone the other day about fees and the, geez, you guys charge a lot in fees and he, yeah, you know, it's a million plus dollar account. And he's looking at it and he's like, man, the fees like, you know, 7,000 bucks and a million dollars. And he's going, that's a lot of money. I said, well, not really. And I kind of talked through how we can quantify what we do, but think about the one time over the course of a relationship with someone that an advisor says, hey, you know what? Because the account's down 30%, maybe we should convert now. What's the tax savings on a million-dollar account down 30% on a conversion doing it at a time when the market's down versus I mean, when it's up? Right, depends on the value of the account, but it's a lot no matter how you slice it. Yeah, so it just gets me thinking. There's The value of what we do is different than what people think. People see our value primarily in investments like oh well you know you pick investments we do that's not really where the value of what we do is derived it's really derived from the planning that we do for people 25 years ago it was all about what investments you bought me and your broker earned a commission today this is really all about the advice we can give you to help accomplish the goals of an individual in concert with their values and what's important to them yeah, and that's the planning. So like this would be tax planning, but just the financial planning in general. And I think for us, and we actually share this a lot with prospects and clients, just to highlight the point you're making. So with as much time as we spend either researching, whether it's listening to podcasts, watching um, media about the stock market, for people in our position, I would say picking 
picking the investments as easy. So that's not so much to me, that's not so much of the value because it should, we should be able to do a good job doing that. But when you can help someone tax plan or build a plan that helps them reach their goals and then in certain situations, it's almost like you do all this work and then, you know, like a Roth conversion, you do all this work, you're ready. Well, then the right time comes to do it. You know, there was prep work that got you to there, but then you're actually capitalizing on that value. And that's really where any good planner can help you over the long term. They can help you make more money. It might not be like you might not ever see it on your statement, but they certainly can help you do that. Think about the individuals that were just helping maximize the tax bracket. And if their tax rate goes from 12 to 15 and we that's did th- that strategy for five years, that was three percent a year for five years. Yeah, and that's a that's a not quite it's 3% not three percent savings. Not, it's not an investment. Right. It's it's an advice strategy. Um so if you're looking to do that, you can get us at btwellshow.com. We have a little link there, start a plan, get in contact with us. We're happy to help you. But so those are some of the things that we really try to help people with that I think they don't expect. People don't expect that from us or think that's what we do. Um one one other thing I see in here, and we hit on this earlier, but there's an article out that the IRS is urging Americans to file their taxes online to avoid refund delays. I'm sure there's people still doing paper returns. I don't know. I don't do a paper return. Do you, Elias? I do not. I file mine digitally. Yeah, well, it's just too easy. I don't file it. My tax guy does it, but yes. I can't remember I, the last I still time file we did. Um, we did a elect or a paper refund. You know, interesting. Um, I don't know if you heard this, but um, one of our big talking points last year was GameStop, AMC, the whole meme stock craze. And I don't know if you saw this, and I'm going off script here, but That's fine. AMC's given up all of its gains now. Okay, I I heard that. I haven't like officially up, read that. I think I remember anything. a show we were doing. It was up like 1,150%. In fact, we had a client who bought it on their own through Robinhood. And we had the conversation, maybe we should take the chips off the table. And she took the chips off the table. I think her account was up like 2,000%. It was ridiculous. Her gain was unreal. And she didn't know. I mean, she didn't. She was reading a Reddit board and she didn't really. Honestly, she didn't realize she had it. Um, Actually, the other day on Kramer, on Mad Money, a guy, either he emailed or called. But the conversation was basically, how can people not be buying AMC with the short interest against it, we can do another short squeeze, do another short. So there's still there's still people out there. They're still trying to um, short squeeze the AMC stuff. Who was I having a conversation with? I was having a conversation with somebody either yesterday or the day before. They knew someone that had put like three or five thousand into one of these meme stocks, and it went to two hundred thousand, and they didn't sell, and they still own it, and now it's back to where it was, and. The guy's like, we're just going to hold it forever. And I get it. Like, we talk about holding investments for the long term. That was never an investment. Right. That And that, that strategy. That was purely speculative. It's not diversified. But I thought it was interesting because last year it was a craze. Now no one's talking about meme stocks. It's over. Right. And that specific situation. So that, that whole AMC thing, that was not a, okay, it's an investment for you if you truly believe in the future of going to the movie theater. If you think that's going to continue being a really good business and you want to, you can invest in that. But the whole idea of the short squeeze 
through AMC. That was like a trade. Guess who won? And trading's not well. Of course, the heads. Guess who won in the end? We and we. I remember we talked about that. They we win. warned people They're you don't want to go up against the hedge funds. They got way more money. They're going to figure out how to They're way smarter. They have all the data. Um, but like that situation, the person who put in five or ten thousand, I would want to ask him when that got to two hundred thousand dollars. How is that not good enough? Well, here's here's like the, any any I got other. The if you bought a house for ten thousand and it was worth two hundred thousand, you would sell it. The person I was talking to said, you know, it got to two hundred. He goes, but if it gets to two fifty, I'd be able to buy this. Or if it gets to three hundred, I could buy this. So they were squeezing it. For more, take your money. Just and not, run. Don't squeeze it. At some point, even if it went to two hundred, now it's and it's human nature, though. Think about this: you put five thousand, it's worth two hundred. I didn't sell it at two hundred. Now it's one seventy. Oh, I'm, it's thirty. It's worth thirty thousand less. I'm not selling it. It's going to go back up. And now it's a one fifty. Yeah, that, that's a delusion. It's really, really, but it's really hard. Human nature. It's really hard to not to sell it and pull the trigger. It's easy to sell when it's down because it's a loser. It's hard to sell it when you've seen it go to one level and it starts to roll off. And you're like, man, it might go back up. I Now I can't buy the $200,000 house. Now I'm at 150. You see yourself losing this stuff. I just, I heard that. I thought about you. I thought about the, the show um, because we said at some point, and I don't remember what show it was. Maybe it could go, Molly could go back, but this is our 71st episode, I think. We said, or semi predicted that those prices wouldn't last forever because they just weren't rational. The other thing that's starting to take a tumble too is Bitcoin. And we talked about this too. It's not like really bad, but it's down close to 50% from its highs again. Um, I saw overnight it traded down uh, in the $38,000 range. And I don't know what it'll be by it's trading 38,958, but it traded all the way up to 66, 67,000, I believe. Recently, we're down to 38,950. 38, yeah, and that's, I guess, I just, I, I would assume people buying Bitcoin expect the volatility. Um, it, if you don't, if you're buying it and you don't expect it, if you just buy it expecting it's always going to go up, you're probably in for a rude awakening. Yeah, but. I think that a lot of the people that I've, um, that I've talked to have bought it recently, they plan on holding it. You know, I know some people yeah, that's, who I associate with who bought some at 66000 That was their first purchase. So they're down 50%. But they don't have out of money or? I don't know. No. I don't know. They didn't discuss how much money. I'm going to guess it probably wasn't that much, but it might have been fairly meaningful amount knowing the person. Um, not a client, it's a person I know. And they said, well, I'm just not going to sell it. So it doesn't really matter. But. One of the things people need to realize about Bitcoin is the taxation that's happening. And I got an email from a CPA, not mine, but a client who's a CPA asking about cryptocurrency for herself. And it was all leading into she's been taking all these continuing education classes and they're now talking about the taxation of Bitcoin. So, you know, you now have to disclose on your tax return whether you had transactions in cryptocurrency, um, which I think they had that in 2020. 2020 as well. I don't know how many people are really transacting in it, but it's important to know that the cryptocurrency is taxed similarly to other investments. Um, and now it's taxed just like any other investment. So if you bought a currency, a cryptocurrency of some kind, um, and held it less than 12 months, 
you're going to be taxed at your short-term capital gains rate, which was which is basically your income tax rate. Remember, gains and proceeds from that get added to your income tax rate. So that's anywhere for most people from 10 to 37%. Right. And if you're trading Bitcoin and now you if you're, you're going to have to declare months. Yeah, and you're going to have to declare your cost basis, your gains, um and depending on your income, I mean, you could have a pretty decent tax hurdle for those gains to even make sense. Well, the issue is going to become for people, Elias, did they keep track of their transactions? <laughs> Hopefully. Because I'm not sure, and I don't know this, I'm not sure if their exchange or where they're buying and selling are keeping track of those transactions for them. Um, I'm guessing places like Coinbase are going to be required to and PayPal. You know, I've, I've had some, I've bought and sold some, and I know I had to fill out a W-2 or something like that when I signed up for the account. So I'm assuming I'm going to get a tax bill from them. But for other people, for the people that have held, had this a long time, you know, let's say you bought this in 2015, 16, 17, any crypto, it's appreciated in value. And if somebody happened to bail out of, let's just call it Bitcoin at 66,000, they'll be reporting under long-term capital gains. And that's anywhere from zero to 20% based upon based upon your your current income tax bracket. Yeah, have you seen any of the, um, there's a couple articles this week. The, the Federal Reserve is starting to talk about the idea of just making a like US dollar cryptocurrency. Have you seen any? There's think, a couple articles that came out. I think we all kind of thought that would happen. The question is, can it get as big as Bitcoin? You know, like we have the individual we've met with in the past and he talked about how integrated Bitcoin already is. I don't know if it makes Bitcoin irrelevant. It probably doesn't because people are using it. But what it does is maybe legitimize cryptocurrency more in general. Yeah. And do you, th do you think do you think that would help stabilize the price in the long term? Um, Just more adoption and more legitimacy as people adopt it as people adopt anything. It stabilizes, but I don't know as if it stabilizes an individual cryptocurrency. You follow what I'm saying? Like any, like it could just the total crypto market, but not maybe just any single. Yeah. Here, here's, here's the problem. It's still the wild, wild west. What was it? Yeah. Crypto.com. They just had however many million dollars of cryptocurrency stole. Um, so it's still a little bit of the wild, wild west in the crypto world. So until there's some regulation involved, I think you're still going to see lots and lots of volatility. Um, one of the things that they they also closed up last year was there was this little loophole where you could buy the crypto. Let's say you bought that crypto at 60,000. You bought Bitcoin at 60,000. You could have sold it at 40, taken the $20,000 loss and bought it right back. There were no wash sale rules last year. So, so the, okay. So this year no, there's wash sale. Now there rules. is wash yeah. sale. Right. So now, huh. now I didn't, I've never even thought about that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, if you bought it at 60,000 and went to 40, you could have sold it, taken the loss, the $20 per share loss or $20,000 loss per unit and get right back in and get right back in and have no repercussions. Um, but that's over. So that's mm -hmm. another thing. If, if that's been your strategy, which I'm sure it was, I mean, if it's you're like the trading greatest, this, that's like the greatest tax harvesting loophole. Ever. Well, let's be, I mean, let's be honest. It's because there was no regulation and right. tax. It was new. Anytime there's something new, there's always a way someone's going to find a way to beat it. And then the IRS and the government's going to find a way to 
stop you beating it, and then someone's going to find a way to beat it again. It's just it's how this whole thing works. Right. Oh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Once they realize people are people are locking in a loss and then getting right back in. No, yeah. no, no. That's um, too easy. One other thing, you know, as we're talking about Bitcoin, what I think is interesting about the Bitcoin price going down, it seems like there's more and more people adopting and embracing crypto and NFTs, the metaverse, and we still see the price going down, which you'd inherently think is opposite of what would happen. As more people utilize it, it becomes more mainstream. You'd think that the price would actually go up, but that's actually not happening. So I just yeah. think that's interesting. It's not a prediction. It's just an observation I had about what's happened in the last you know few months. Yeah, and my I guess my speculation is on that with all the extra liquidity that was pumped into the economy the last couple of years, you know, some of that might be people who got in that they got in more of the fear of missing out more than they're a true buyer of crypto. And some of those people um, could be leaving the crypto market because they just thought this is my lottery ticket where the people that I know that actually that believe Bitcoin's an investment, um, you know, they don't treat it like a lottery ticket. They're not they're not doing it because of the fear of missing out. They're doing it because they believe in it. They're a real buyer of the asset. I know someone who dollar costs average every hour. I know. That's awesome. I mean, if you think about it, the, it may be volatile, but he's doing everything he can to combat the volatility. He's literally dollar cost averaging every single hour because he'd actually reached out to us. We did. Remember, we did a show. I don't know. What was it? Maybe a month or two ago about we yeah. talked about. Um crypto and i mentioned you got to be careful of the fees and he'd send me an email and say hey roger by the way i dollar cost average every hour and it costs nothing and he told me where it was and i can't disclose it but yeah, he's on a platform that has no transaction yeah. cost yeah so um i just thought that was interesting but with that said um we hope everybody's getting geared up and planning for you know the upcoming tax season if you guys have any last minute questions or last minute planning items you want to take care of you can get us at btwellshow.com Click an advisor. Also, don't forget we've uploaded the 2022 tax guide. So that's there. You can download that tax guide. Um, you can sign up to get alerts from us as well. So as we have pertinent information, we can push that out to you. But um, appreciate everybody listening. Seventy first episode, Molly told me. So I think that's kind of a cool accomplishment. You know, we we jokingly said, I'm not sure we can do this every single week. We've done it for 71 straight weeks. So I think that's pretty phenomenal, Elias. It is. And we, we probably deserve a gold star or a pat on the back for that. It's probably it's probably not so much us. We should probably give it to our editor and director, Molly, yeah. for doing it because she makes sure that this show's ready. She does the editing, even when we procrastinate and do it absolutely last minute. So we appreciate her. But um, we appreciate everybody listening. Until next time. Hope everybody has a great week. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. 
Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.